Hello and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thanks so much for joining me and I really hope you enjoy this episode. This was a very, very special interview because Lindsay Stenevec, who is one of our fellow registered dietitians from San Diego, California, was actually 39 weeks pregnant when we did this interview. So I just snuck in at that last minute and since then we have the wonderful, beautiful little James who has joined the world. And lucky James, he has chosen himself a very nice family and a wonderful mother in Lindsay. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Lindsay, she is a non-dietitian, an intuitive eating counsellor and eating disorder specialist. She is the founder of Nutrition Instincts and her most recent project is called the Nurtured Mama Club, which is essentially a website and community designed to educate, support and empower expecting mothers and mothers on the non-diet nutritional wellness, body image, acceptance and self-love path. So as you'll hear Lindsay and I talk about, we talk about parenting not only within the framework of having experienced pregnancy itself, but we also talk about that there's lots of ways to be a parent, um, including not being pregnant yourself. So, um, you know, we, we really value being inclusive and we understand that the challenges of parenting don't only come about when you have actually been pregnant yourself. So we really wanted to just overt that and keep that in mind when we're talking about the challenges of parenting. So Lindsay established the Nurtured Mama through noticing really significant gaps in resources for support, particularly after having a baby, through her own lived experience with postnatal or postpartum depression and anxiety. So really, Lindsay is a specialist in facilitating one-on-one consultations, although maybe not at the moment, Lindsay, you'll be busy with your newborn. And she also does online programs, eating eating disorder recovery support groups, and the Nurtured Mama podcast. So hop over there and check it out. I really enjoy it. I've got older children and I just really get a lot out of understanding how the different issues that parents face and her specialists are absolutely fantastic. I just really enjoy that particular podcast. So jump over there and check it out. So Lindsay's mission essentially is to help women and mothers reduce stress and guilt around food and movement by restoring trust in their bodies. She wants to help them take weight obsession out of the equation and redefine health, wellness and self-care. So as you'll hear, we really talk about about how we can support parents to foster that sense of confidence and the skills that they need to um, to raise kids who really thrive in this world where diet culture can be nipping at our heels and nipping at their heels, unfortunately, at younger and younger ages. So I really loved talking to Lindsay. We could have talked for hours and hours and hours, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. And as usual, Please join us over on our Facebook page, The Mindful Dietitian, which is really a discussion group where we share resources and events and all kinds of things that come our way in the areas of mindfulness, non-diet approach, health at every size, body image and eating disorder work for dietitians and nutritionists. So I'll either see you over there on the Facebook page for some fun and games, or maybe I'll see you at an event coming up this year, available on the Mindful Dietitian website, which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. So look forward to seeing you either website or Facebook or please contact me. I am themindfuldietitian at gmail.com. It's so great to have you here and hope you enjoy this episode. 
Hey, Lindsay, it's so wonderful to be speaking with you today. Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Hi, Fiona. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh my gosh. I've been wanting to speak with you for ages and ages because you've got a very special and quite specific interest area and that is working with mums both um, during pregnancy and post-pregnancy and you're doing just some incredible work in this field. So um, to get us started off, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and then maybe a little bit about how you came to working in this beautiful and unique field? Yeah, well, thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, things have sort of taken shape this year in particular, um, really diving in and really focusing on the motherhood experience and how that impacts eating and body image and child feeding. And so it's been really exciting to to grow that community. Um, I'll like kind of back up since I know, you know, we're, we're hanging out here with dietitians who are listening and mm-hmm. um, I'll kind of like back up and just talk about a little bit about my path of how I arrived in this place um, and how I came to being an intuitive eating practitioner and all of that. I, uh, the first time I ever learned about intuitive eating was actually in my internship, which I was lucky. Uh, very few of us get exposed to intuitive eating or health at every size in undergrad or um, in our internships. But I was lucky. I worked with Katie Bartels in Long Beach. So I went to Cal State Long Beach for my internship and she had me read the book and I hung out with her for, um, I think it was two or three weeks, but it really, um, based on where my relationship with food was at that time, it sort of came to me at the exact right time. And I just sort of got really into it. It just fit right in with kind of where I was at. And I realized like once I started learning about this, there was no going back. Um, and so, and I wanted to, I knew at that point too, that I wanted to specialize in eating disorders, but I also knew that that might not be where I start working professionally because I wasn't sure, you know, how hard it was to get a position at a treatment center. Um, I knew I wanted to open a private practice at some point, but I didn't want to do it right away. I wanted to get some experience. So I actually ended up starting at an elementary school district. Mm. I was doing their menu planning and education um, for parents and professionals. And interestingly, often was asked to do education for the students. And so knowing at that point, you know, having um, learned quite a bit in my master, the start of my master's program and undergrad about Ellen Satter and, and mm, wonderful. Um, division of responsibility so and stuff. That was always a big focus that I tried to bring into the education and then also um, in terms of educating students, it was an elementary school district, uh, and I was invited to kind of classrooms of all ages. And the way I kind of reconciled with that, because I knew, you know, kind of traditional nutrition education, the way that I was expected to do it could potentially be misinterpreted, do harm, not be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, I really focused on like gardening and, um, plant growth and kind of getting dirty in soil and planting seeds and plant parts. And we would sing about plant parts and things like that. Um, so it was super fun. Oh, I do know the funny thing is Lindsay, I can imagine you doing that because you've got such a warm and vibrant personality. I can imagine you, did you by any chance wear fairy wings at this same time? (laughs) I didn't, but there was, we do have a dentist group down here. (laughs) 
that would visit <laughs> and they would have the tooth fairy come and she would oh, wear wings and a whole little outfit. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that reminds that. me of that. Yeah. I love that. So, so you were really encouraging the kids kind of to interact more with food rather than focusing on quote unquote nutrition as such. Right. You know, developmentally, that just seemed the most appropriate way to bring that into the classroom. Um, and in uh, more alignment with things like division of responsibility in that it's, it's actually not their job to, you know, direct things nutritionally or to select things from a nutritional perspective or, you know, like it's an adult's job to manage that side of things and figure, you know, kind of figure that out on their end, um, whatever that ends up looking like, you know, for each family. So that's where I started and I did not expect to start there. And I always tell interns, students, newer dietitians that are kind of looking to get their foot in the door in a certain niche. I always say, you know, it's great if you know what you want and you end up getting, getting a position in that focus and specialty, but no matter where you start, you, if you, if you look at it this way, you know, you will always take your experience with you, um, in the future. Like you will never, it will never be a wasted experience, even if it's not quite in the specialty that you envisioned. Um, I always, you know, was interested in child feeding and family feeding and, um, maternal and child nutrition. So my first job fit in really well in that way. Um, but I never envisioned being in like the, the school district setting, but it certainly opened my eyes to, um, just kind of the way, uh, food is discussed in that environment, public health messages that are in that environment, what's going on in wellness committees, um, mm. you know, uh, wellness initiatives, things like that. That is a big thing that I've taken with me. Um, and even, you know, the food service aspect of it and the management and education and um, leadership aspect of it I took with me. So I um, didn't spend a ton of time in that role. I actually left um, about a year into it for various reasons and um, started doing kind of dabbling in uh, inpatient work, uh, like in hospital, clinical Mm -hmm. work, uh, a little bit of outpatient nutrition counseling. And I, while I was doing this, I was in my master's and I was able to volunteer at the behavioral health nutrition conference that happened to be in San Diego that year. And, um, that was when I officially knew I really wanted, like when I was surrounded by a bunch of um, dietitians who specialize in eating disorders, they had this conference switches focus in this particular year it was eating disorders. Um, so I got to listen to people like April Winslow and Jessica Setnick and um, Amanda Mellow Spring talk. And I thought, oh my gosh, these are my people. This is where I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be. And I started talking to different people at the booths and just didn't think anything of it. Left my card with uh, a dietitian at UCSD. And she called me about a month later and said, you know, actually it might have been a little longer than that. And she goes, I was cleaning my desk and your card fell on the floor um, we, I just got approved to hire a dietitian. Would you want to come in and, and interview? It was like the, uh, the clouds parted. So, so that was wonderful. I learned a ton working, uh, for UCSD's eating disorder treatment center. Um, so was, was that Lindsay, um, it, j just for those who aren't familiar kind of with the college system. So is, is that with um, kind of older teens, younger adults studying at UCSD? Was that the role? 
Oh, good question. So it is just simply affiliated with the UCSD school system, Mm -hmm. um, more so than the medical side, um, because there's a University of California, San Diego, you know, medical center. And then there's the university. It is kind of uh, just from an HR, you know, paycheck union perspective. (laughs) It was kind of affiliated with the school, but it was certainly not... um, exclusive to just students who went to the school. Although we did have, you know, plenty of students who were referred to us through their wellness center. Uh-huh. That was fairly common, but we worked with, uh, they have a, a pretty robust teen and, and kid program. Um, and then they have adults. So all age, age groups. Um, so I spent, uh, some time there and, eventually decided that I was ready to jump into private practice. And so at that point I jumped into private practice and also uh, picked up some consulting roles in education for a community college and worked for, uh, did some gestational diabetes uh, counseling, Mm -hmm. which is something I always wanted to do, learned a ton doing that and then consulted for Head Start preschool program. It's a government preschool program in the United States for low-income families. Um, Really actually a very wonderful program, um, just a wonderful preschool program and service to the families, access to lots of different types of professionals. And so I was brought on with another dietitian um, as, you know, one of the Two, one of two dietitians that offered nutrition counseling and support and screening and things like that. And so um, that was a really wonderful um, opportunity as well. Yeah. Uh, and then once I had my son, so this is, we're talking like 2014, I started tearing down just a little bit in terms of the number of consulting roles and things like that that I was right, doing. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, uh, let's see. So where are we at here? So I sort of uh, start tearing down. I, I'm still an educator for the community college, the local community college here, and uh, still have my private practice, um, but no longer work in the gestational diabetes slash diabetes clinic, and I no longer am consulting for Head Start. Um, but Head Start, you know, kind of tying in the Head Start experience and the gestational diabetes experience was also a really nice segue and kind of getting that variety of exposure um, mm. to families, maternal nutrition, um, mm. preschool age feeding, which is, you know, can be very challenging yes. to navigate yeah. for parents, for educators, for dietitians, you know, yeah. um, that all certainly were, you know, those, those were things I took with me as I went through my own parenting experience yeah, right. and started to get the wheels turning in combination with my professional interests, you know, the professional um, uh, specialty in terms of, you know, sitting in rooms with all, all kinds of people, but I work with a lot of women um, and a lot of moms and just, you know, you know what it's like, like hearing their stories of food and body and their experiences and just knowing um, that there's so much that people experience that they don't know other people experience too. Like they think it's their, their secret, their own, you know, that it's their, they must be the only ones who feel this way or go through this or struggling with this. And so 
you know, when we hear, obviously everyone's story is unique, but when we hear these, you know, we build these relationships with our clients and we hear these um, stories and walk with them in these journeys, you realize, oh my goodness, you can really see when you zoom out and you think about the population as a whole of how do I reach more people? How do we prevent this? How do we, how do we support people who maybe don't have access to one-to-one care or don't know that that's available or don't know that they might need that? Um, and I also saw that there were a lot of gaps of care in the perinatal experience, right. just in terms of, you know, real lack of understanding around mental health, which is kind of a chronic problem <laughs> in yes. general. It's not just in the perinatal community. It's not just OBs. You know, it's kind of across the board. There's a lot of misconceptions and stigma, as you know, around mental health, um, there's a lot of gaps in care from a physical healing perspective and understanding kind of how the how pregnancy impacts the body from a physical perspective in terms of ligaments and muscles and stretching and pelvic floor and what type of care can be done during and after pregnancy to help women heal um, post-delivery and, and know if something is not normal and be able to ask about it and get the right help for that. Um, just lots of different gaps of care. And, and then obviously we know from a, a food and body image perspective that we'll dive into in a minute, mm. there's a lot going on there. So I just sort of saw this kind of perfect storm. I knew that struggling with my mental health postpartum and not having really been asked about it in visits with OB, pediatrician and whatnot, which, um, you know, again, it's, it's something that people have to learn to do. Uh, I, I got great care in lots of other ways. I, I also knew working in the field of eating disorders and dysfunctional eating that no one was asking, you know, um, their patients about that. And if they did, they didn't know how to respond. You know, they didn't know how to help or what to say or how to follow up or who to refer to. And so I thought, well, I'm not a mental health specialist, so I can't fill the gap there, <laughs> but I can pick up my toolkit and I can figure out how to, you know, bridge this gap for moms, you know, who are suffering in this way and need, need validation and care and, you know, and to know they're alone as well. That they're, they're, yeah. I think that's, that's been actually one of the biggest take homes lately as I reflect on the last been a few years, but this year in particular, there's been a lot more growth in the community. And I've realized that one of the big functions of it is just, you know, for moms to feel like they have a space to go where they can say something about what they're struggling with, with food or body image and have, you know, five or six women just jump in and say, Oh yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've been there too. I, you know, I totally know what you're saying. And to just realize in that moment, like, oh, yeah, you're not the only one. Um, I think there's a lot of healing just right there to have that connection and validation. Absolutely. And it's the, a lot of the work that Brene Brown talks about is, Mm -hmm. you know, the shame that we feel um, and the, and the blame that crops up, um, particularly around parenting, um, you know, that apparently everything is your fault and therefore it is your job to fix it. Um, Mm -hmm. Apparently Um, that is um, definitely a cultural construct as well, unfortunately. And we'll kind of talk a bit more about that. Um, But I love the way she talks about creating community um, 
and an empathy, you know, dissolving shame. I love that because as you just beautifully spoke about, when you do observe that in the communities we're working in, it really, it, it goes right into your heart and soul. And the, the community that you have been able to build through the Nurtured Mama is just, just absolutely incredible and is a real testament to your passion in this particular area um, and being able to support mums and and as a result of that whole families to be able to build these um, these trusting and connected relationships not only with each other but then also with their bodies and food the work you're doing is just it's so 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 important oh thank you I appreciate that um, yeah I appreciate that and I just kind of really look forward to seeing where it goes and how the entire community kind of moves and shifts and you know they're all kind of a part of it right so absolutely and as they um, as their kids yeah. grow as well you know I mean you yes. you have a toddler now and uh, we haven't mentioned that you are 39 weeks pregnant <laughs> <laughs> as we are recording this so yes um, you are a such a superstar for it speaking with me <laughs> <laughs> you're my one besides my some of my wellness visits today uh you're my one thing on my calendar so I've kept Aww. my calendar very very clear and have yes. really just kind of rolled into this stage but I yeah. thought yeah I wanted you know I could do that I want to do I want to get on with you on it and, and talk before uh before this little one comes so yeah absolutely yes. so I'd be interested Lindsay if you don't mind me looping back just a little and asking you a little bit about what were some of the commonalities in the stories that you were hearing from um, from parent from mothers to be or or new mums? What were some of the commonalities that that really struck you in their stories? Yeah, one thing I always mention with this is, and something that I even experience on a practitioner level, is just kind of the assumption that you shouldn't be feeling the way you're feeling about your body. Um, I talk about like the sh the shame of feeling shame. Um, and, the, you know, the reality is we are we're taught to feel dissatisfied with our bodies and it's just reinforced over and over and over and over again every single day in one way or another. Um, and so the idea of I shouldn't be feeling this way, especially for, for moms who are coming to see me to you know, to get help with food, to get help with body image, there was just a lot of like, I can't, I can't believe, um, especially for moms who uh, may have been in like some level of remission. It could have been years, it could have been months, it could have just been for the pregnancy, but feeling so upset with themselves. Like, why am I feeling this way? Why is this back? Why am I having these thoughts about food? Why am I having these thoughts about my body? Um, why am I having such high urges to engage in behaviors that I haven't been experiencing, you know, for X amount of months or years. And, you know, that being a huge barrier to them getting help in the first place to speaking up. Um, and, you know, so it became very apparent to me quite quickly that there was work to do around just normalizing this, validating this of, Hey, you know, you, you can't, you cannot control the fact that, these thoughts have come back. Like this isn't your fault. You didn't do this to yourself. You didn't, um, this, this doesn't reflect how hard you worked previously in recovery or up until the moment where these thoughts mm -hmm. come back, came back. You know, there's a lot going on. Um, 
that can, that can be very triggering around this time. Mm. And, um, and so, you know, look at you, you're totally here and getting Mm. support and you've reached out and that is absolutely indicative of, you know, where you're at in your recovery. Um, and, but I, you know, I would also say there are plenty of people who would take longer to reach out to, and that's understandable as well. Um, but I think as dietitians being, you know, we might be on the front lines of that and to be aware that, um, it may have taken a mom a long time to reach out or that she's feeling a lot of shame about the shame that she's feeling. Um, and so just kind of like say, just kind of call that out and bring that into the session of, you know, yeah, this is happening and it doesn't have to mean anything one way or another about you or your recovery or you, you as a mom or anything like that. Um, and let's, you know, let's get to work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I kinda because we know that pregnancy and um early parenting experiences leave people very vulnerable. So yes. I, I can imagine for somebody that has had that previous history of an eating disorder or maybe even just disordered eating, chronic dieting, that of course any any vulnerabilities that crop up in life are going to press those buttons aren't they so you bring yes. up something so 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 important and I've got two separate questions for you if you don't mind um, the first is um, for, for those of us who work in eating disorders what do you think we could maybe do better in um, in terms of supporting the recovery process in people who might be parents in the future to prepare them for life vulnerabilities do you think there's anything that we could maybe strengthen in our um, you know in our in our um, therapy as as things move forward Um, I guess I'm interested in your in your ideas yeah yeah I think that so a couple of things one you may need to do some support and education it depends on where they're at I mean if they're like hey in the next 10 to 15 years I might want to become a parent you know there's a different way of that you would work with that person versus someone who you've been working with and they're saying, I'm thinking about becoming a parent in the next year or so. Right, right, right. Um, So I'm thinking about it being a little bit more immediate. Um, I think one, uh, maybe some discussion around being an advocate for yourself when it comes to providers that you're going to encounter during the process. And this isn't, you know, I I always want to, I've, been telling myself I need to do a much better job of this when I do podcast interviews and talk about this with professionals and, you know, with parents. Um, It's not just for people who become pregnant and that's how they become parents. I mean, this includes, there are people who, you know, their journey starts with infertility um, or their journey into parenthood is through adoption um, or surrogate or, you know, there's all of these different ways of transitioning into parenthood and all of them come with their own unique set of challenges. Um, and you know, so I do want to make sure I'm not leaving people out when we have these discussions. Although, um, in terms of providers, uh, you know, in encountering providers from, uh, in infertility or perinatal providers, Mm -hmm. um, looking for a size friendly provider, first of all, looking for someone who, when you tell them, you know, I have a history of an eating disorder. They listen to you um, and they ask you maybe, okay, how can I help meet your needs given that history? Um, Or tell me a little bit about that. Um, Because oftentimes they don't, 
you know, they don't have training and they may, you know, hear that and they don't necessarily know what the next kind of most helpful thing is. So ideally it would be a provider that's open to asking. Mm. Um, and you may, you know, have to prepare that client to be a little bit of the educator. Um, not only that, but someone has to, who has to maybe repeat themselves a couple yeah. of times, but, mm -hmm. it, but to not be afraid to change providers if they're feeling like the care they're being given is not in alignment with their needs. Mm. Um, because and, how, many, how many times do you hear um, that folks have gone, have um, experienced some degree of infertility and um, gone to a provider, they have had a history of an eating disorder and they may live in a larger body and the provider has advised them weight loss. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, ah. <laughs> it's rampant. I mean, it's, me so it's just... Um, terrifying the things that people are told um, around their fertility in relation to their body size, yes. um, that they won't work with them mm -hmm. until they lose a certain amount of weight. Um, it's horrid um, what's going on right now, I think, in, in the infertility community around that, in that space. Mm -hmm. um, Jen McClellan, she is uh, a wonderful advocate in this space, and she has resources on Plus Mommy and, oh gosh, I'm going to forget her first URL, but if you go to Plus Mommy, you can also find her uh, Plus Size Birth. So there's PlusSizeBirth.com and PlusMommy.com. She has wonderful resources around this um, education. She has a great free uh, download you can get that helps uh, with questions to ask providers um, to search for a size-friendly provider. She has support for people in um, going through infertility who are being told these things. So um, I always recommend her stuff. Uh, and as dietitians, I think being able to point our clients in that direction as well um, yeah. is, is something that can be can be really helpful. Definitely, um, particularly if we are actually getting a referral from a provider saying, I won't provide services to this person until they have lost weight. Can you help them lose weight? Mm, you know, yeah. I just, my heart sinks because I still get those. I've, you know, I've been working in this field for 15 years and I still get those referrals. And I yes. mean, I, I guess nowadays I see it as an opportunity to educate the provider and to work really closely with the nursing team. They usually have a you know team of nurses and a team of um, uh, a team of gynecologists and um, and obstetricians and so forth. So um, yeah, but it I find like you, it it really frustrating the the messages that we're not moving beyond this sense of supporting a, a, a woman who is experiencing something really stressful, um, and and being able to help her um, be most well, um, right. without uh, without the emphasis on weight, right. Mm, it just because what you're saying is it, it, it makes things worse, makes everything worse in terms of um, in terms of fertility, in terms of birthing, in terms of um, parenting as well. Well, yeah, they completely um, miss the whole concept of. I mean, not only the messaging of 
you know, your body's not okay. It's not yes. welcome here. And also we don't want to help you reproduce. I mean, yeah. I can't think Aww. of a worse message. Um, but also, you know, a, from what I hear, I haven't dealt with infertility myself, but in, you know, talking with other uh, friends, you know, um, clients I've worked with, I mean, most of the time they you've kind of feel like you'll do anything, right? I know. Um, yeah. I hear that a lot. I'll do anything, you know, for this to work. And so especially living in diet culture and with the, you know, awful level of weight stigma um, and bias that is out there in our culture, our society, our medical community, um, you know, it would not be surprising, obviously, that a woman would jump on the bandwagon to, to diet, you know, to try and lose that weight and how that impacts her health is something that's completely dismissed. Um, you know, the way it impacts the, her relationship with food and her body and what that impact could be moving forward as, you know, she becomes pregnant and goes through pregnancy. Um, with that confusion, I mean, at the very least she's going into pregnancy going, I can't honor my hunger. And so if you're going into your pregnancy thinking, I can't honor my hunger, it's going to be a really long, very painful 10 months um, because every day you have different levels of hunger. There is very little consistency for, um, from day to day just because things are just changing so rapidly. Um, and from trimester to trimester, things are changing or you might have a unique experience you know, in your first trimester compared to your friend. And if you feel like you can't honor your body, um, yeah. you know, that's, that's, you're much more vulnerable, I guess, in yeah. those situations and hearing from others and all of that. So there's so many layers to that. Um, and what you're really talking yeah, that about are highly is, problematic. you know, the, the word that really jumped out at me just then when you were talking was trust. And, you know, so many of the messages in diet culture are, you know, that you, that you are, are perpetuating the idea that you can't trust yourself and actually you shouldn't trust yourself because if you do then oh god knows what's going to happen you're totally going to yeah. lo lose your shit over yep. one piece of cake or something you know um and then what i really heard you emphasizing so beautifully there is that when trust is interrupted the flow-on effect of that can be so significant for people in terms of um um, trusting their bodies, uh, not only trusting their bodies, trust, trusting their children's bodies, um, trusting um, their feeding practices. And yep. so what you've really raised is a core, um, I guess, a core idea that if it gets interrupted can have disastrous longer term effects. Yeah. I mean, these things don't happen in a bubble. No. They do impact other areas of our lives. And we're just talking about this one small impact of, well, it's a big impact, but you know, there's so many factors that are impacted by these messages um, whenever somebody gets them. But just looking at let's like, you know, we're talking about the trust in your body to tell you when it's hungry alone and that hunger is normal and a biological cue and it needs to be honored you know, if you've lost your connection with that and you feel like hunger is wrong and bad and something to be managed and not listened to, um, and then you go into this state of constant change from, you know, pregnancy to childbirth, postpartum healing and child feeding, and maybe you're nursing and yeah, I mean, how do you trust that your child 
can figure out how much milk or formula they need if you don't trust that you know how much food you need. You know, it's going to be really kind of confusing. I wouldn't say everyone feels like that. I do mm-hmm. see kind of that um, sometimes it's a, well, this is how I feel about my, my like body and my hunger, but no, no, I know my kid can do it. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Mm, like they kind of have, wonderful. Um, you know, the disconnect there, but which is helpful from a child feeding perspective. I, I do think a lot of people can learn to feed very, very well while they're kind of working out their own relationship with food stuff. Um, but, but that's, you know, that's, we kind of started with just talking about providers in general, but I think, you know, preparing your client, um, that there is sort of this like potential perfect storm, um, for being triggered and to, to, you know, prepare for that as well. Some people actually, you know, research is a little conflicting in this space. Like there's a lot of research out there that shows a bit of remission from, um, disordered eating behaviors during pregnancy. So some, some people do experience that. Um, it's a more peaceful time for them. Uh, they start being able to embrace more intuitive eating when we're talking from, you know, honoring hunger and fullness perspective. Um, uh, and that tends to carry out throughout their pregnancy. And then postpartum is the riskiest time kind of across the board when you look at literature. Right. And it actually makes sense to me why postpartum yeah. would be the most risky time in general. Um, but there are also plenty of clients that I've worked with and moms that I connect with in my community who are struck by how triggering pregnancy is and the body changes that they're going through, um, the appetite changes that they're going through. Um, a lot of, I, I hear a lot of, um, you know, I was, I was gung ho about intuitive eating. Everything was going, was going well. And then I got into my first trimester and my appetite. So haywire. Um, and I have so many food aversions right now because I feel so sick that I can't eat intuitively. And so that always tells me, Oh, well actually you're totally in tune with what your body's telling you. We need to back up and talk about what, what is intuitive eating. Um, how does it help you in all times of your life? This isn't like, you know, hunger fullness diet or only when things are stable and perfect, do we follow intuitive eating, whatever that would even be, you know, um, that it's actually wonderful that, you know, you have had some exposure here and let's, let's figure out how this can support you during this kind of icky time of feeling sick every day and knowing you need to feed your body, but you know, feeling adverse to food, um, sort of navigating that, um, and dealing with any triggers that come up for, with that for people who have had, um, history of an eating disorder or are currently, um, struggling with behaviors. Yeah. That time. That's such a, that's such a great point because, um, I completely agree. My observational, um, I guess my observations, um, which is certainly seems to be backed up by research, as you said, is that some of my clients take a massive leap forward in terms of their, um, in terms of body acceptance and overall um, eating disorder recovery mm-hmm. when they become pregnant, and um, and for others, yes, it can be highly, highly triggering. And one thing that I do that I notice, which can be really tricky in terms of um, in terms of management, is clients with a history of um, bulimia who then go on to have hyperemesis mm-hmm. um, oh, my heart breaks for them because being able to manage the distress around um, around that 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 hormonal 
reaction and it's really un unfortunate for them it's unfortunate for anybody mm -hmm. but particularly if that behavior has been associated with an eating disorder um, and I've actually had two in the last 12 months who that has happened to. Oh wow. Yeah two um, and um, one had kind of really just got to the end of her recovery and then became pregnant and then had hypermesis and then the other one was t more 10 years ago and I didn't see her during her recovery but I saw her because she had yeah had a remission um, or a, a relapse or um, she had been experiencing a lot of the eating disorder cognitions and behaviors again sure. in pregnancy so yes this is all something that as dietitians I think we can become a lot more aware of um, and how to you know um, use all our counseling counseling skills and, and compassionate present awareness with yes mm, with the people that we're working with and I would say making sure that you have a plan of care for postpartum yes. um, before I went through my own motherhood experience just just kind of experience like what it's like to have a baby and you know parent and things like that my professional focus was so much on prenatal and pregnancy. It's like, oh, you know, that's such a special time and that would be in the area to focus in and all this stuff. And then, you know, when you kind of go through it yourself, you realize that there's just this swift drop in care and focus on mom. Everything shifts to baby. Mm. And I realized that that was really relevant information for our field too. Um, because we might think, oh, well, they're going to be with this baby. So we shouldn't you know, we don't want to see them and, you know, we don't want to bother them and we'll follow up with them at some point. Um, you might not have a plan, um, but, you know, utilizing phone sessions or Skype sessions is recommended and having some sort of kind of loose plan of when you're going to connect with each other, um, how soon you, um, you know, the client thinks they can get back into the office, um, you know, just kind of based on where they're at, what kind of check-ins and care they may need ongoingly and, you know, not, not um, doing this in a, like a, which we most wouldn't, but like a fear mongering way, but an educational way of, you know, Hey, you know, yes, this is, this is an exciting time. And you know, this is a time when we're focusing on you and baby during pregnancy, but guess what? Like postpartum um, is a whole nother, whole nother stage. Mm -hmm. And it's just as important and just as valuable. And we all, and it's also even more risky, um, you know, from a triggered triggering perspective. Um, so keeping that in mind, or if a client's going, I'm doing great. I don't need to come in, you know, during pregnancy, say you might want to say, okay, that's fine. Let's, let's follow up with each other at this point, you know, after you've delivered, even if it's via email, just to say, how are things going? Should we schedule? Um, that's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So. That's a great idea. And one thing I know you speak about a lot as part of the Nurtured Mama is really pushing back against that um, postpartum get your body back bullshit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the myth, the main messages you kind of, um, you try and really emphasize within your community and how we can, how we as a, as a dietetic community, how we can also support you in those messages in, in our communities. Yes, I'm so passionate about this. That message bothers me yeah. to n so much, as I know it does every other professional that works in this field. <laughs> um, it's and but it's so interesting when you think about the language. Get your body back, right? There's so many. There's so much underlying, actually valuable, you know, 
parallels to draw and information to gather from one's experience with that, just from that language of get my body back. Like, I just think it's so indicative of this transitional phase in someone's life of what they're going through, you know, their identity shift as just a human of, you know, this different type of existence in the world where you have this thing that you care. So this person that you care so deeply about and is completely reliant on you in so many ways, um, how that impacts the way you view the world, how that impacts the way you interact in your, you know, day-to-day relationships, friendships, how it impacts, um, you know, your career, your, um, you know, just so it just has such a big impact. So what I always like to say is one, I don't want to discount the impulse to want to go back. (laughs) Uh. So I think that's super, that's really valid. And I don't want to say, let's just not talk about this at all and pretend like none of this matters. It doesn't matter. You know, don't worry about weight. There's more important things to worry about and sort of discount it. Instead, I want to say, yeah, it's totally understandable that you're feeling that way. And how can we help you care for yourself (laughs) in a real way? That's not trying to mask, you know, probably what all this is representing. There is a surface level to, to it as well. Absolutely. Just based on the way our culture talks about bodies, obviously, and kind of the perfect storm that leads to this time. But, um, you know, let's not, let's not invalidate where, um, we could be learning, you know, and kind of bringing more information out. So I always say like, let's talk about it in a way that's helpful, um, and supportive and, um, opens up dialogue for a more um, broad discussion. I'm speaking kind of broadly right now. Um, but oftentimes when we have these discussions in the group, you know, I'll ask a few questions and oftentimes dials down to what's going on in their lives. You know, they might be in a um, chaotic place in their life or feeling chaotic and out of control, whether that be because of like where they're at from a parenting perspective or other things that are going on in their lives or, you know, kind of questioning their abilities as a parent or a mom. Um, They are going through, you know, different shifts, like I mentioned earlier, in terms of identity. Uh, Maybe they're dealing with the issue of having a lack of support. Maybe they Mm. are having some anxiety. and depression. Maybe they aren't able to get out of the house and connect with other um, parents and mothers who are going through what they're going through. Um, you know, there's just so many things that can be going on, and we're just taught to translate kind of all of our feelings into if I could just make my body do this, if I could just eat this way, <laughs> these things, all my ducks would be in a row. My life would be just so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, so why wouldn't we as a society and, you know, as individuals, why wouldn't that be an, um, the impulse, you know, um, of wanting to fix, quote, fix things in that way um, or to want to go back? I mean, there are a lot of times, you know, I I didn't necessarily feel like I wanted to go back, but I certainly um, mourned my certain aspects of myself or my previous life that I didn't expect to, you know, I just didn't expect that. Yep. I a hundred percent 
relate to that 100%. I remember, so my kids are now six and eight, so I'm over, I'm kind of past that very young kind of child um, mm. stage now, and it's only really in hindsight I can look back and I distinctly remember having the thought, and I think it was um, in one of those moments where you happen to be by yourself, um, maybe um, in the bathroom or in the shower, where I always you know, seem to have my only alone time. Um, and I know you understand this. Uh, and I remember having the thought, I miss me. Like I yeah. miss myself. I miss, um, I miss my life. And then almost instantaneously a wash with, but look what you've got now. You shouldn't be feeling mm -hmm. that way. You know, this is such a gift. And then this other, um, thought popped up of it's okay to hold both like it's okay to miss myself and to miss aspects of my life um and to be yearning for more than two hours sleep at a time and to be <laughs> yearning for um to feel vital again and to feel maybe a, a fitness or strength or whatever you know um and to also have this sense of you know gratitude and feeling blessed and um you know, feeling fortunate to have this new life um, around around me. So, yeah, yeah. What what you're kind of, yeah. I, th I I just really, really, really relate to that. And um, I think if we can help help new parents be able to in mindfulness, it's called equanimity, which is this sense of holding it all, being able to hold it all. And I mean, there's no harder time to hold it all than as a new parent, I don't think. I feel, I felt yes. like I was constantly dropping the ball everywhere. <laughs> yes, so true. It's, yeah. and the emotions are so strong. I was really overwhelmed by how strong I loved my son and then how strongly I could feel, um, you know, dropping him off at daycare and having him cry and how hard that was and how much I felt, you know, during those times, it just was so overwhelming to me. I, you know, it's, it's just a lot of emotions of all kinds. Um, I remember thinking even when he was a little older, uh, he's probably nine months or so. I dropped him off at the YMCA child watch to go. Actually, I just went and <laughs> sat in the jacuzzi the whole time. And I remember walking away. I remember walking away and tearing up and thinking, am I always going to feel so strongly about every single decision that I make mm -hmm. from here on out? Like, is this is this what it's going to be like? And I think eventually we habituate to it. Sure. Because even sure. just in three and a half years, it's like, yeah, I probably, you know, yeah, that probably, yes, was probably the answer to that question. But I now, like you said, you, you can learn how to hold um, lots of different feelings that you're having, that it's okay to have, you know, different types of feelings about the same experience. Um, and, you know, you probably get used to the, just that higher level of emotional involvement with another human um, as you get, you know, your brain gets habituated to that. Um, and you bring up mindfulness. I just think, I think mindful, uh, when I was um, struggling with postpartum depression, the first person that I went to see, she was a mindfulness practitioner. And, you know, of course I had known about mindful eating, but I had never done formal 
either personal experience in mindfulness or like any formal education in just mindfulness in general. I was always interested in it, but I didn't realize how much I didn't know about it. Um, and I think having, uh, she had me take her uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction course. Oh, yes, yeah, fantastic. And yeah, it is. It um, is a really wonderful practice uh, to have the opportunity to be exposed to. Um, I think in parenting can be really powerful. I actually always recommend um, Mindful Birthing oh, by yeah. Nancy Bardacki to um, – friends and sometimes clients, no matter what kind of birth they kind of are planning for or not, um, it's, it's a great kind of segue with mindfulness into the birthing process and also like parenting process. Um, I've always thought that was a, a nice resource. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's interesting that you and I, you know, in our personal experience, um, we are, we, both of us enjoy lots of privileges in terms yes. of, um, you know, we are white, cisgender, straight women, yes. smaller yes. bodied women. Um, and, you know, and that as practitioners, I think it's real, and I know, I know we concur on this, is it's really important that when we're working with people who don't enjoy the privilege, privileges that, that we ourselves do, that we really, really uh, step into that space of having, having compassion and really understanding people's very, very valid, very real lived experiences, whether that is um, from a from a social point of view, or from a cultural or a, a size, um, gender, uh, ability, age, <laughs> whatever yeah. um, different life and body experience that that people have, um, and that's probably one of the first things to come to is understanding people's experience and the privileges that they have, and being able to work with um, work with people's uh, what do you call it capacity capacity yep. to be able to care for themselves and um you know because self-care actually is i actually think it's really hard it's a really hard thing do you think oh yeah it can be yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely I, I mean yeah depending on what your needs are in respect to self-care in every moment um there may be needs that somebody has that they are they don't have access to the care that they need mm -hmm. um, to be able to execute that type of self-care um, or it's such a um, you know oppressive and stigmatizing experience that they hesitate to get that care um, you know based on experiences with providers or in groups or things like right. that um, so um, absolutely yeah Absolutely. So uh, tell us a little bit about how people, or how our colleagues, how our dietetic colleagues can um, help their communities get in touch with the Nurtured Mama and become involved in your community um, because you are such an expert in this area and you've set up this beautiful space where people can um, join your Facebook community, listen to your podcasts. So um, give us an idea about, you know, where's the central point where you would really like people to refer, refer to the Nurtured Mama and to yourself? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of the easiest way is just to go to the website. It just got redone, so it's a lot easier to sort of navigate and find different resources. Um, but the nurturedmama.club is the URL. Um, and I have a podcast called the Nurtured Mama Podcast. It's pr- I'm pretty much every, everywhere at this point under Nurtured Mama, except for Pinterest. I'm under Lindsay Stenebeck. So if you like Pinterest, you have to look me up <laughs> under my name. Um, I need but everywhere else, <laughs> yeah, you can find, find us there. And you can very easily find lots of different um, buttons to join the free Facebook community, but you're also more than welcome to just get on Facebook and search the Nurtured Mama community and we'll pop up and you can just request to join and jump on in. Um, so those are, uh, that's kind of the easiest way, their website, searching on Facebook or getting to know, um, you know, the movement and guests that we have on and um, my approach and things like that on the podcast. Yeah, so. that's fantastic. So just segueing just just a tiny bit I'm interested so of your of the podcasts that you've done so far who's been your most interesting guest would you say ooh ooh that's a tough one i feel like every guest has been so interesting and helpful um i was really honored to have jen mcclellan on the podcast um, again, I mentioned her earlier, uh, plus size mama or plus size mommy. I need to look it up right now because I don't want to butcher her. That's um, okay. I can put the plus size birth.com. Yeah, I can put the link in. No problem. Uh, I love interviewing and talking with uh, Dr. Linda Shanti McCabe. Um, she is someone I actually had the honor to speak with at Postpartum Support International um, symposium. Mm. I guess it was a couple of years ago. Now I had actually, she was the first practitioner when I was just starting with the idea of nurtured mama. This was probably 2013. It was just like wheels were turning. I was like 15 weeks pregnant. I'm at IADEP and she spoke on, um, the parallels of recovery and, and, um, he, and motherhood. Uh, and then when I applied to speak at PSI, they were like, Hey, you guys both are talking about eating disorders. Do you want to combine your, your presentations? And I was like, well, first I'm going to have a fangirl moment. And yes, <laughs> I would absolutely like to. Um, oh, that's funny. Oh gosh. There's, it's so hard to pick. I, um, I guess it's, um, it, it, I've just, I've, I've looked through and I recognize some people, Paige Smathers and Jennifer McGurk. Oh yeah, absolutely. I know, I know some of these, these are other dietitians as well. But you know how sometimes you have guests and you think, oh wow, that was really, really interesting. You know, offering something really, um, uh, offering something really different. And I know that you are very thoughtful with your guests and that, you know, everybody is very um, intuitive eating focused, health at every size um, informed. And I also noticed one, um, one guest you had, if you don't mind speaking about it, and then I'll, um, I'll put a link to it is sure. talking about um, uh, talking about trauma and how trauma affects our experiences of, of being a, a parent. So I'm, I, I, I yes, Pat Stepler. Yeah. Pat Stepler. Our recent bonus episode. Yeah. I, that's, mm. I'm like, you're saying all these episodes. I'm like, Oh yeah, I can't believe that didn't come to mind first. Um, <laughs> like everyone I'm like, yes, I just, yeah, it's been really so fun to interview and I feel like I've learned so much. So I invited Pat. I actually know Pat through a mutual friend and she's also 
um, active in the nurture mama community um, in conversations and things like that. And she's a marriage and family therapist. She lives in Ventura County, which was hit extremely heavily uh, this year by the fires. Uh, they were in the Thomas Creek fire. And I had also noticed that she um, was part of a, uh, I guess it was a task force or a group of therapists that got together after the tragic shooting in Las Vegas and um, put together group therapy and um, processing groups for their community. Cause they actually had 150 people just in Ventura County for those. Most people wouldn't know this Ventura County is very small. It's a very intimate, small, very special community and to have 150 people who lived there that were there. You just realize the magnitude of how many people were at that concert and in Las Vegas and were affected by this horrible tragedy. Um, So I knew she was really on the front lines of really diving in when there were traumatic events that were affecting communities. She really knows how to support people with that. And that is something that, you know, as a parent too, just as a human being, but also as a parent, when, you know, that whole saying of your heart is walking outside of your body, like you process those things on a whole nother level. Um, And there was just so many things that happened in 2017 on a global level. Um, I know in conversations with friends and colleagues, you know, that anxiety was high and, and still is around these things, around the state of just lots of things. And so I knew that that was something that was needed. So I brought her on and she just did such a beautiful job of um, not only just talking through what, you know, how these things affect people, but also some tangible things that parents can do for their kids um, and also do for themselves to help them cope with things like this and how to know, um, you know, what kind of care to seek and how getting quick care uh, soon after traumatic events can be really critical in the way, you know, you, you kind of manage that um, moving forward. I didn't, you know, there was just a lot that I learned from that episode that I knew it was supposed to go out in season two. And I was like, she just, I don't know how she did it. I mean, they're still dealing with the fires to a degree when she did the interview, but it was in December. And I was like, I'm just going to release this because we need this. We yeah, need we need it now. Yeah. yeah. And it, it, it feels like it was reflective of what she was talking about and that timeliness is everything. And, um, and that if she was talking about the the fires that that i'm i'm assuming that you were thinking okay this could be helpful for people now not you know a couple of months in in the future so yeah i think yeah. um trauma is something i'm interested in in terms of how we in terms of how that affects our relationship with bodies and food and parenting and yeah, ah. Parajat uh, Deshpande, she was another um one of uh totally different like focus, but similar in terms of she specializes in helping um, moms during high risk pregnancy and infertility from a mind body perspective. Um, So she uh, used, she was a therapist and sort of switched gears slightly um, to get some specialized training in this area. And that was really interesting to hear her too. And she's got some really interesting episodes on her podcast as well called um, delivering miracles, just about, um, you know, supporting um, families and um, moms in high risk situations as well. 
Yeah. So I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. Every episode, there's something oh, that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll put all the links there to the just your main podcast page, and then people can see the uh, the buffet of of choices there for them. But um, oh gosh, Lindsay, I, I mean, obviously we we could talk for a week, and hopefully one day we will be able to talk for a week. Um, but your your very unique. Um, your very unique area of interest is just so relevant for our profession. And I love, of course, we have in common the, the um, passion about intuitive eating and health at every size approaches and mindfulness-based mindfulness based approaches as well. Um, so um, I would encourage everybody who's, who's listening to really go to the Nurtured Mama um, uh, dot club website take a look at what Lindsay's doing um, and and please refer your clients to the nurtured mama because Lindsay is a superstar and she knows her stuff so just really encourage everybody to jump on there and we can all really learn from from hearing from you so just so grateful to have you here Lindsay and I really wish you all the best over the next not only couple of weeks but then also in the postpartum period as your as your little family adjusts. Thank you so much for, for having me on, Fiona, and for those kind words. I really appreciate it. So fun talking with you. Um, yeah, I hope I can be a resource. I know there's a lot of other you know practitioners out there who specialize in this too, and so um, I love connecting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we all kind of are able to throw in our experience, and we can't have probably too many people in this space, you know, when you think about the ripple effect. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much for, for having me on as a guest. You're so welcome and look forward to catching up with you on uh, quote unquote, the other side. Yes, totally. (laughs) Okay. Then talk to you soon. Bye Lindsay. Bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.